So, hello everyone. I am here with uh, a one Jamie Perkins, um, somewhat important member of the Gilball community. Uh, you may no, know. No, I'm not very important at all. I'm just a regular person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I was on. Uh, I was on Rage Quit Wire, and you'll you'll hear this when it comes out, uh, Jamie. But I, I uh, made a I made a few jokes at your expense, and the first reaction was like. <gasps> You're making fun of the Jamie's Perkins, and I'm like, yeah, he's, he's just a man. Hey, I am absolutely just a man, and and I even heard you like I'm a. I mean, a lot of this this episode that we're recording now is going to stem from when I last heard you guys um, talking, and you were talking about how I appeared. I think one of the things that stood out to me was like, oh, he just appears on Single Now all the time. They're like, it's like his favorite podcast. That's that's I do like those guys, but. I think mainly they get lots of interviews from us just because they ask all the time. <laughs> they, That's um, fair. I mean, they're they pretty, pretty. Yeah, they're they're uh, they are well known for getting your interview. But we thought we would have you on for something besides just spoiling the new, uh, you know, X Y Z model guild, etc. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a little summary. You you uh, you just started talking to me. We had we were starting a good conversation about how you prepare for tournaments. Um, in you know, like a competitive sense, what you do to get yourself psyched up, what you do to do as good as you can do. And I thought it was really interesting what you were saying, and I wanted to talk more to you, but I said, let's get this on audio. So um, for those who don't know, besides being the lead developer, lead developer, I'm right on that? Yeah, oh, yeah. lead Kind of where do you come from in your gaming history, your competitive gaming history? for those who aren't familiar? So, um, I've been gaming for quite a long time, and I've, I've done quite a lot of gaming systems even before, or before Guild Ball, of course. Um, I started out as a 10-year-old playing games, as most people do, going into the games workshop, playing some 40K and fantasy, um, and eventually got into competitive gaming, sort of in my late teens, experimented with those games first, but, uh, had had some reasonable success and was probably just better than the average player, not nothing particularly special at all. And then eventually I found War Machine. Um, I was uh, introduced to War by by a local press ganger into into trying War Machine out and really really enjoyed the system. Uh, I thought it was a really really clean rule set, which was which was great because I was having some I was having some issues with some of the vagaries that are often involved in in Games Workshop gaming systems, unfortunately, and used to have a lot of arguments with players. Which I didn't enjoy, so I was really thought it was refreshing to have this really what seems to be a really clean rule set, um, and that was very appealing. And I was sold upon the fact that okay, so someone was looking to, to, walking through the different factions, and I was sold on the K Dodge because they're the big red silly stupid faction with all the biggest robots. And I was like, cool, I'll just play those. That seems fine. And the more I played the game, the more I realized that I really enjoyed the clean rule set, and I thought this is a game that I could really play competitively, and I won't need to have arguments over rules all the time. 
I can just play it and then hopefully it will be the, the best player wins. And played War Machine for a very, very long time, for, for about eight years. Ended up winning um, the British Championships four years in a row, um, which no one's done before or since. And each time that was a 128-player, seven-round event, so properly grueling events. Um, I was the first person to travel from abroad to come and win a large American convention. I traveled to TempleCon, I think it was 2012. Mm -hmm. um, and came out of nowhere. Nobody knew who I was at all. Um, I, I had to I had to scramble to get into the into the into the Masters because they had a, like a qualifying system. Sure. Um, qualify in an earlier event and then get into a final day Masters. And it took me all three of the qualifying events to finally get in. So I got a bit lucky to get into the Masters, <laughs> uh, and then managed to to win the Masters and win win the TempleCon Masters, which was the first time someone from abroad had ever done that at a big U.S. convention. But so, beat some really big players along the way. Uh, like Will Pagani, for instance, he's actually one of the developers at Privateer Press now for War Machine. Sure. Um, and another one as well, I think I won, it, I won another European Masters, uh, in, uh, what it's called, it's not, it doesn't run anymore, but it was a collection of countries, and I can never pronounce it properly, it's either the Benelux or the Benelux, which is like Belgium, uh, and the other countries that are nearby that they collect to, uh, together, and they have this big, they, they have formed a national Masters between them basically, and I won that one as well, so won quite a lot of major national events there. Uh, and helped set up the what is now the WTC. I actually helped set that up. Um, was one of the original council members because I was really interested in setting up like this big independent world championship. Helped helped set up Team England for for the War Machine teams, and then was the captain of the team for the first year. Participated for another two years, and then after playing for eight years, played thousands of games of War Machine, and that's not even probably not even a lie. And then started to wind things down and wanted to look to other things. Which was when um, one of my older practice partners, actually, Rich Loxham, who is now the CEO of Steamforge Games, uh, had been playtesting Guild Ball, and then he decided to ask me to help him playtest Guild Ball, and that might have had something to do with the fact of how I got my job there, no spoilers. <laughs> um, and then here we are, so a couple of years oh. later we've gone to, gone to Guild Ball. That's, that's, the, that's the nutshell of, sort of what I've done, at least. Excellent. Um, so I have clearly, a, clearly a, a large resume of... Uh... Uh, successes at competitive events, uh, despite you know being a, a very popular and cutthroat. I would say cutthroat uh, system. Like War Machine is definitely you get like it's large tournaments with lots of players and lots of um, a very good like traveling uh, competitive meta compared to like other game systems. Uh, it seems like players really are kind of more invested in the competitive scene than, say, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, Warhammer, some of the Warhammer games or, you know. Yeah, there, there are definitely, there, there are some similarities, I think, between, I mean, for me, I always experienced the best parts of the War Machine community. Um, so even though I, like, heard a lot of the, the things that you've just said about the community, I always found those a bit strange. But that might have because um, I was for lack of a better word, on the in crowd, where I was, people were always nice to me and stuff, and I, and I always had a really good time with everyone, so I probably saw the best side of everything. Um, but also, at the same time, I know that the game was where you had, to, you had to be on your rules knowledge. You had to know everything, or you could get caught out very easily. So you wouldn't get into arguments about stuff, because like Guild Ball, the rules are intentionally written as clear as they can make it. So you don't tend to get many arguments over how something works. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't know how something worked, that could be a big surprise for you. Um, and you could get caught out very easily. So, you, like, knowledge is absolute power. Sure. And, and yeah, and I meant cutthroat more, less in the, like, uh, you know, in the positive or negative attitude, but more in just the how serious people were about taking events, right? Like yes. how, yeah, they were, 
as as you saw you yourself were uh, invested in, in winning. Um, so, what what made you successful? Competitive. So, so the the thing that sort of sparked, I think, me and you having this conversation was what started off with your last recording, mm-hmm. um, where, where you talked about good tournament prep, and it just got me thinking about all this kind of stuff again. And everything you were saying in the last episode that you made was was, was absolutely bang on, spot on. And that definitely covers the vast majority of things that cover for most people, mm-hmm. like making sure that you practiced, trying to resist tilting, um, making sure that you accept that that dice can happen sometimes. You just have to get on with it when it does and accept that if you and if you don't accept that then you're probably playing the wrong gaming system mm-hmm. um but i would but and i'm not a, i'm not by any means a um an expert on psychology but one of the things that i think i was able to do very well was understand how to motivate myself very well and get myself into a good state of focus mm-hmm. um, and a lot of this stuff is very very cheesy just that's just because that's what motivates me it won't work for everybody but i just found a number of ways that i could get myself into the correct mental state to go into an event with a good degree of focus. I knew I was there to have some fun, but I also knew I was there to try and do as best as I possibly could. Um, so for example, one of the things that I got into watching at a very young age was Rocky Balboa movies. And they are not the best movies in the world, not by any long shot. Um, but I really enjoyed some of the hidden messages behind that, or not even hidden messages, some of the messages behind the movie like that, which is things like easy stuff, like don't give up. Um, making sure that you're always you're always in there in the fight with a chance so one of the uh, the phrases I'm, one of the phrases that i always took out of so the sport of boxing is punches chance which is as long as you're in the fight and you keep throwing things at the opponent you could eventually just get lucky and get one through and knock the other person out mm-hmm. and i think that's a good analogy analogy for sports in general and even for gaming you've got to be in you've got to be in the game to be to be to have a chance of winning it and sometimes if if that if you can like let your head drop or if you just think that you're out, as soon as you accept that you've lost the game in your head, then you have lost the game on the table, mm-hmm. even if the chance is actually still there and you haven't spotted it, if that makes some sense. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah, a lot of times I'll see people, even sometimes before the game even starts, but yeah, people will kind of, something doesn't go their way or they start losing a game or even, yes, yeah, things are not optimal for them and they start getting into that mindset where oh, I'm not going to win this game or, I, you know, uh, it's already done with, and then that that right there is 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 going to be a self fulfilling prophecy. You're not going to take the chances. You're not going to make the decisions that you need to do to turn it around, especially if you're already at a disadvantage. Um, so yeah. you you always got to stay in that mindset. Like this game is not over until my opponent has scored twelve points. Yeah. For and now, and that that revelation isn't exactly a stroke of genius. That's something that most people will know. Don't give up. It's a pretty easy thing that most people hear in anything that they're doing. But I, then you can also take that a step deeper and take that Rocky Balboa analogy another step, which is having, and something I found that was very useful for me personally, was having the mindset of an underdog. So going into each game thinking, this is going to be really difficult. I have to play at my absolute best to win this. But also balancing that with an element of self-confidence in that knowing that you have some decent tricks up your sleeve and going to go back to a boxing analogy again for a minute, that knowing that you might not get to land many shots, but the shots that you do land, you have to have the confidence to know that they're going to hurt the other person. Or that basically saying that the tricks you have up your sleeve are going to work. You have to have that self-confidence, but also going in with the mindset that you have to play at your absolute best in every single game, which, which can spill over into phrases like never, ever underestimating your opponent. Um, or even taking it to another extreme, which is even if you don't have any idea who your opponent is, 
try to understand that they are probably the best opponent you could ever face. Because if you ever think they're anything less than that, then you're getting into areas that you might underestimate them. Then you might do things that you wouldn't normally do, take chances you wouldn't normally take. Even perhaps be a little bit arrogant and mm -hmm. not do the safe thing and have the best chance of winning the game. Does that also make some sense, or am I just completely waffling on? No, definitely. And uh, I'm going to throw something out to you and see if this is going to get technical for a second. But what I'm hearing you say is it, two things. One, definitely the, like, the balance. Um, but you kind of started off with this idea of um, not making assumptions and, and kind of viewing yourself as the underdog in any um, given situation. And it sounds like particularly important when you know you are like in a spot where you feel like you're highly competitive um, in a given you know space, a given event, and you're trying to um, keep yourself from not, like you said, making mistakes or making assumptions or underestimating. Um, and kind of when you originally brought this up, what kind of brought me to is something that's known um, in the field of psychology as the Yerkes-Dotson curve or correlation. It doesn't a bunch of different names, but basically it's it's a bell curve, right? Um, and it states that performance for any given task uh, improves at a within a certain range of uh, physiological arousal uh, or mental arousal, you know, cognitive arousal. Basically, what it's saying is at the low end of the curve, or I'm sorry, at the high end of the curve, if you're super anxious, if you have, if you're so worked up about something, you know, you're, you're it's state, it's the championship fight, you know, your Rocky Balboa, everything's on the line you're getting that nervous, you're getting that extra energy, um, it's hard for you to perform at your best. You know, you might not think as quickly or act as quickly as you need to uh, to win. On the other hand, if you don't have enough of that kind of fit that arousal, you don't have enough uh, stakes in the game kind of going and you're not pushing your mind or body to uh, put enough of its effort in, you can make those kind of, you can overestimate people, you can make those other mistakes that go on the low end of the curve. And it sounds like a lot of your efforts were kind of trying to balance yourself so that you're not, you know, super confident and just at the low end of that curve, like, I'm going to smash everybody here, and then you end up making mistakes and losing it, but at the same time, also giving yourself the confidence so that you're not, you know, um, going the other, uh, other end of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and I found personally that that was very difficult to, it was very difficult to force that to manifest. Um, like I could never get that to happen in practice games ever uh -huh. at all. That would only ever happen. Uh, and I, it was very difficult to get that to happen in smaller events as well. I could just use those for practice. But when you're going to something that means so much more to you personally, like uh, having get, gotten on a plane and traveled 3,000 miles to go and play at TempleCon or, or go and play in a world championship somewhere, those were a lot easier to, to because it, it means something to you, or going to a national event as well. Mm -hmm. And having a little bit of nerves, like the, achieving the other end where I wanted to get some focus, that wasn't the difficult part. The difficult part was getting to an event that meant something to me to get that little bit of, of anxiety to, to, to fuel it, if that makes some sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, a, it's, a, it's a big thing, like having we talk about I've in the tournament prep and otherwise like reducing your anxiety, but at the same time, a little bit of anxiety is exactly what you need to perform in, yep. in a situation. Uh, so we talk, you kind of talked about it like just broad generally. Is there anything specific uh, actions or things that you said to yourself that got you, you kind of already touched upon it, but that got you to that mindset in these bigger events? 
Uh, music. Music helped quite a lot as well. So <clears throat> there were sometimes, it wasn't often, usually you travel to an event, you travel with some friends, and you go and relax in a car, put some music on, have a conversation in the drive, or whatever, get on a plane. But there's also a number of events I, I've traveled to on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and those were probably the easier events to get myself into the correct, correct mental state because I would use a lot of music. Uh, again, sometimes reference back to Rocky Balboa songs, sometimes... Um, a little Eye of the Tiger. Yeah, no, seriously. And it sounds yeah. really, really cheesy and silly, but it's whatever works for you personally. Like for some people, it might be rock music. For some people, it might be, be rap music. For me, it's quite cheesy songs. Um, cheesy songs, yeah? Absolutely. Give, give us an example. So I'll, you know what, I'll go and get a playlist. Because I actually, because I, I even went running today and I still use some of this stuff to go running with because it's quite handy. Love it. So, yeah, so. while you check on that playlist, I mean, for me, it is um, it is Viking folk metal. That is my uh, pump-up wow. music. <laughs> yep. That's as, as you can tell by the beginning of the all, all the podcasts, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so some of the ones on my current playlist, for instance, are from... Like Creed, that was the recent Rocky okay. song. So uh, I think the song's called Lord Knows, which is like the workout song from that movie. But I've also got, here's a random one, uh, Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. from. Uh, oh, beautiful. <laughs> that, is, that is a classic, yes. From Short Circuit 2. I think Short Circuit 2. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, uh, also, The Suicide Mission, which is, which is the soundtrack from Mass Effect 2. Okay. The, the final level of Mass Effect 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just some obvious ones like Eye of the Tiger and bits from uh, Bill Conti. Sure. Um, and John Cafferty and stuff that he, they're people that generally did a lot of the soundtracks for the Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a couple, there's one particular, there's a couple of like of the rap songs from in the middle of what was the film? Real Steel, a boxing movie with the robots. Okay. Again, just properly cheesy stuff. It's whatever just happens to, whatever happens to sort of, I don't know, what's the phrase I'm looking for? I guess inspire is the right word. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that. For, for me, that really cheesy stuff works, but it, that's not going to be the same for everybody else. Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody is different there. You, you seem to have a, a big boxing theme going on. like to see yeah. yourself as some sort of prize fighter there. Yeah. Well, the thing is, well, in the, I mean, I never was. I wish I was someday. I never, I've never done boxing. But like the first thing I grew up doing, my, my, my extracurricular activity as a kid was to go and do Taekwondo, which is sure. a martial arts form. It's really, really, think of it as really, really light contact uh, kickboxing. Mm-hmm. And I did that for quite a long time until I was about 20 years old. And a lot of the mental states that I bring into, brought into competitive wargaming, I brought from training very, very hard. Uh, at, at physical sports, also athletics for school and stuff. I tried, tried a variety of different things to see if I could be really good at something. Ended up being a, like kind of okay a few things and just learned what I could from each of them. Even if it was a physical sport, then I tried to apply it later where I possibly could. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, even, right. even the, long, the long and very nerdy years playing Halo, you know, there was a couple <laughs> of things that you could take from that where sometimes you play so many games and some days you have good days and you're playing really well and some days you have bad days. And just try and learn what you can from each of them, I guess, really. Sure. So you had your music, um, and you would listen to that either in the car, it sounds like in the car, on the flight, yes. yeah. um, ever like day of, morning of, or were you that kind of like put in the headphones in the morning before a tournament or no? Was- uh, absolutely. Like, yeah. so going back to the example of Tem- TempleCon I mentioned, yeah. um, that was a grueling weekend of gaming. I went, I went there and that was me going, I really want to do my absolute best to try and win this. So in, from a Friday to a Sunday uh, of TempleCon, I played 17 competitive matches of War Machine. Each of those takes about two hours. Um, so I played all of Friday, I played Friday night, I played all of Saturday, finally qualified for the Masters at the end of Saturday and then collapsed for 12 hours. <laughs> and, then, and then played, played the, uh, the Masters on Sunday. Sunday. Yep. 
So I had a really, really intense semi-final game where something very unfortunate happened, which is I was playing against a chap who, not a bad guy at all, but he had got on the wrong end of being over-invested in the game. And the reason sure. why this had happened is, um, and I feel so bad for it now, but, but nothing could be helped at the time. And he was playing with a friend of his models. He wasn't playing with his own models. He was playing with a friend of his own. He was a borrowed army. And the army that he was using was of a friend of his who had recently passed away. So mm-hmm. they, like, his friends had made this, this group decision where if any of them actually qualified for Masters, that they would play, play with their friends' models. And he was doing very well. And he got through to the semifinals. But the problem was is that, and I completely understand and don't, and don't mean any ill on him at all, but he had got so invested in his own fairy tale that he was destined to win this event. Yeah. Because, because he'd come so far and this story was going so well. And that just wasn't the case. And I, I won that match. And the end of that got a little bit tense because of a rules question that came up. Um, so at the end of that game, I was like, my nerves were completely shattered. Uh-huh. And I, that had ruined my mental state. And I was feeling so bad for this opponent at all. Like, like we didn't have any like bad blood. It's just that he really wanted to win the game and was over-invested. Yeah. And didn't. And, and it um, didn't work out. And then right. you're kind of sitting there. And you were a part of that experience. And yeah, that I, must I be jarring. Exactly. Yeah, and I was absolutely the bad guy in that story, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was not. I was not the good guy in that fairy tale story. So I, I was like, I said to the head judge, I was like, "Can I have ten minutes, please?" I was like physically shaking, and he was like, "Yeah, sure, go and have ten minutes." And luckily, I had my headphones still uh, with my with my case of figures, so I just picked up my headphones, got my phone out of my pocket, went for a walk, got a bottle of water, grabbed whatever food I could find nearby to try and calm myself down, got like an apple, I think. I think I spent that entire weekend just eating whatever was nearby because I didn't get a chance to go out to a restaurant. So I think I spent the entire weekend eating cheeseburgers and, and Granny Smith's apples mm-hmm. um, because that's all that was on offer. Yep, right, so, out, right outside of the gaming room, they have that nice little, uh, that nice little stand there with the overpriced food. But... Absolutely. So, so that's all there was. So I grabbed, grabbed a couple apples, grabbed a bottle of water, put my music in, and then just walked off down the road. And I uh, walked off down the hall. And I remember the piece of music I listened to, and it was a really terrible piece of music. It was. For, have you ever seen the film Snatch? It's, an English, it's a British film, Guy Ritchie film. With, mm, uh, I have not. Okay, so in that, that's, that's a film about uh, British sort of gangsters. Okay. Uh, London gangsters. And there's an underground bare-knuckle boxing scene where they're walking... And they're walking from the changing rooms out to the fight. And there's an instrumental piece of music from Oasis. And it has a very terrible name. It's got a swear word in the name. It's um, F-ing in the bushes is what the name of the instrumental piece is. But it's, okay. a, it's, just, drum, it's just drum and bass. Uh-huh. And it's a really good sort of... Uh, it was a really good sort of... In, inspiration isn't the right word. But fight music, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it was, I would just use that and walked up and down the corridor a few times and just had that blasting into my ears. And it just calmed me down and then got me back into that state of focus of, I remember what I'm here to do. I remember I'm here to play a game and have fun and try and do my best and try and win. And it helped me get back into that state of, I'm about to go and compete at something. I'm an underdog. I'm about to go and play Will Pagani, who's one of the best players in the world. Yeah. I need to play at the best. Let's go and do this. And I walked back into the room, played the game, utterly ruined him and won one table gone. And there you go. Awesome. Um, so. So, it sounds like yeah. that's a great example of, of how, like, in the moment you had to use different strategies to it's – not, it's not just – I'm sure you were well prepared in terms of your knowledge of the game, your practice, all those things. But, like, the, the whole mindset stage, which, you know, obviously is, is my favorite aspect of it. Uh, it was, you know, very clear from, from your example there that that was super important to be able to get in the right mindset and stay in that yeah. mindset despite setbacks. 
Yeah, absolutely, massively important. And and everything you say is is hundred percent true. There's no there is no um, substitute for good practice, um, and that is that forms the foundation of any good player. And it was the same for me when I played War Machine. I I just got in so many practice games, hundreds and hundreds of games. Um, one of the things that gave me a massive advantage at the start of the game was that I was actually unemployed for about four months, uh, mm-hmm. right about the time when the second edition rules came out, Mark Two. Sure. So. Whilst I was filling in job applications, I was also playing two or three games of War Machine every single day. Physical games, practice games on Vassal, any games I could get my hands on. So that when it came to playing events, most people had played 10, 20 games maybe at most. Whereas me and Rich, who had been doing this intense practicing, had already got into the hundreds of games. Yeah. And there is just no substitute for that at all. But yeah, what we're saying here, I guess, is mental state is important on top of all those good practices such as knowing all your rules knowledge, knowing exactly what your opponent's stuff can do and what your opponent's, knowing the decisions your opponent wants to make in game, all that stuff is, is critically important at a basic level. But once you've got all that stuff sorted, having a good mental state is also very, very important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, start with, yeah, start with your foundation, right? If you're trying to, if you're a player listening to this, trying to break into, or, you know, uh, break into a new level in the competitive scene for Guild Ball or just start winning some games, definitely start with the foundation. Get your knowledge. Know what your stuff does. Know what your opponent's stuff does. You know, get the practicing. Get the repetitions. And then from there, you know, utilize, get, find ways to get yourself into the mindset so that you can apply that knowledge. Because that's the big thing. You have the knowledge. You have the skill. You need to apply it in a tournament scenario because there are these, you know, it, it doesn't matter how well practiced you are if you can't put that knowledge into play when it comes time to do it in this, like, one instance you know, or of, of a tournament or event. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's some even some, I don't know how much time actually we've got, by the way, because we've got a couple extra points. Um, but, uh, yeah, keep but, going. We got this. So there's some, some extra things on top of, like, the, the correct mental state for going into an event is you don't have to replicate that in practice. Like you can, you don't have to, because you can absolutely wear yourself out if you have this. Like I'm a very intense person, as unless you, that's probably obvious at this point. And but, and you can't, you just can't maintain that level of intensity going into practice games, going into tournaments. You will wear yourself out, you'll burn yourself out, and you'll start not having fun. And the other thing as well is you must, you might start burning out the people you're practicing with, and they, they might not have fun as well. Um, you've got to make sure that you're practicing with the right people to do this. Um, so. What I used to do is just try one and do as much silly stuff in practice games as possible, which was actually a really good way to practice because one, I would lose the vast majority of my practice games, like way more than half my practice games I would lose uh-huh. comfortably and just get utterly ruined. Um, but I was doing a couple of things. One, that was keeping my opponents very happy and very willing to practice games with me because they were enjoying the games and I was doing silly stuff so we'd have a laugh about it. But two is I wasn't just practicing silly stuff because it was funny. I was practicing silly stuff because I genuinely wanted to see if it would work. And that mm-hmm. was a really important thing for when you're playing higher level games. And, and we're going to drift off into something else here, but this is why I think that, say, the Germans, and this is, why, this is something you also were talking about in your recent episode, the Germans are actually really, really good at Guild Ball because they have the sheer number of practice games in, and they will practice really weird game styles. So that when they come to the table with you, they're not just coming here to say, how good is your plan A? Because everyone has a plan A, and everyone's plan A is probably very well practiced. What they say when they come to the table is, how good is your plan B? Because I can guarantee that my plan B is better than your plan B. Mm-hmm. Or even yeah. further, like how many alternative ways can you play this game? And I'm going to do my absolute most to push you out of your comfort zone until we find one that you can't do very well. Um, 
and, and that was something else that, that was useful for playing and practicing in very weird ways. I would lose a lot, but I would also figure out different ways to play the game and what would work and how to catch people out with different things. Yeah, you almost kind of like expand uh, your kind of repertoire of moves and you kind of like test the limits of, of what works and what doesn't work, what's good and what's bad. Um, and like, you know, in Gilbog, I guess an example would be like you can, you know, try, you know, this really aggressive scoring or takeout plan. And yeah, maybe it doesn't work a bunch of times, but you know, like, okay, why didn't it work? What can I do? And then maybe you're in a competitive situation. And if your normal, you know, plan A isn't working, how do you switch it up or how you present a new kind of uh, problem for your opponent to, to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you pray. So you practice. So practicing uh, silly stuff, um, you know, often out of your comfort zone for for how you play. Uh, sound like it was a, a good key for you. Uh, both. Yeah. In, but I do like that you address this as a I think keeping your keeping your practice opponents, you know, happy and willing to give you good games. That's a that's a good thing. It's something I always you know worry about. I want to um, play practice games, but especially with uh, the the situation in like New York, the Northeast area being very difficult to uh, easily travel for games. Like I, yeah. I have it's, to it's be weird. very con- like I have to consider. You know, I want to have give my opponent a good time. I want to get something that's worth my time if it's going to be practice or if it's going to be silly. Like it, you have to really consider how, not just you, but like how your group, how your meta, how your friends are are playing the game as well. Absolutely. At the end of the day, even even if you want to be a very intense person and go and win tournaments like like I did, like you do, um, then you've got to consider the people you're practicing with. Ultimately, this is a social it's a social game. You know, all the games you play have got to be with other people. So if you're going to be doing this intense practicing, the people you're playing with, you've got to make sure that they're happy and that they're willing to do it. Now, you might get really lucky and stumble across someone who, like me and Rich Loxham were, we were very both two very intense people that were happy to do this kind of intense practice game all the time. But sometimes you just you're just gonna have to play with whoever's locally there to you, and keeping your opponents happy and willing to play games with you is all, like you don't you don't want to get to a situation where you're going into your local gaming store and you're like, does anybody I'd like to practice I'd like to play games does anybody want to play a game with me and everyone goes <sighs> like they they're not looking forward to it and that's that's just that's not great because one you I mean it's not a good place to be oh it, feel, it feels not bad. Great, <laughs> and yeah, you just don't want to be that kind of person that's like, oh, people don't actually want to play games with me. It's not a nice thing, you know. Um, it, it, yeah, but keep, keeping your opponents happy is, in practice is, is really, really important. And it also does other things as well, such as keeping yourself relaxed. And that's kind of what I started off saying, in that you don't want to have this intensity for practice games because it will burn you out where you are. You need to save that for the events. So just relax, have some fun, try some stuff. And remember that you're actually playing this fun as well, not just to win. Definitely, definitely. Easy to forget. Yes, yeah, can be, can be. Recharge your batteries, very important. Um, Do you, you had mentioned before, did you have another uh, area that you wanted to talk about that you thought would be important for prepping? It's particularly important for other people that are very intense, and it's kind of related to tilting. Sure. um, Which is a phrase that I learned, it's it's kind of a a thing that I already knew, but then someone else coined a phrase which I I quite like, which is, Hang on tightly, let go lightly. Okay. This applies to both rules and to mental states, mm-hmm. which is do your absolute best, fight your corner when you think you're correct. And it can come up in rules questions as well. Like if someone's challenging you on something, it's, you know, hang on tightly, check the card. But as soon as you've been proven to be incorrect, 
let, let it go. Just go past it. If, if you have, and, and it's the same when it comes to plans on the table, if you've invested everything you possibly have into going for this goal, going for this takeout, um, even in other games, going for a scenario point, whatever it is, and it doesn't quite come off, let it go, move past it, don't tilt. Just, it happened, deal with it, look for the next opportunity. Mm-hmm. You have to let it go. Because uh, if you, if, and if you dwell on the thing that happened, oh, I should have had this, I should have had that, then the more time you spend thinking about what should have happened, the less time you are spending thinking about what is my next best opportunity to win this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's super important. Um, and I, what I like to say is, it, you know, especially if you think you're that kind of person where it's really difficult for you to not dwell on it, get, schedule yeah. yourself that time for after the game. I know uh, I, I definitely dwell on my losses, but I never do it in the game. Uh, I wait till afterwards, um, and usually I'm dwelling on it just to like teach myself the lesson so it sinks in. I had a really good example of this. We had a uh, over the weekend of British Nats. We also had a team tournament down in uh, in the southeast, and yep. um, I ended up dropping one of my games. And uh, early on in that game, round top of two, I had. Uh, Given, given Miss some influence, who had the ball engaged with uh, Brick, and then also engaging Avarice, uh, who was in cover, so I was getting the bonus dice. Um, and you know, I, I go, the dice don't go exactly my way. Um, you know, end up misallocating. Should have had one more influence to turn the eighty-nine percent goal chance into a ninety-six, but it doesn't happen. You know, and obviously it's like, ugh, that's a you know. I just invested three influence and a model that's going to die now into that. But instead yeah. of being like games over or like, Oh, why didn't that, you know, that should have happened. It was pretty hot, you know, pretty high odds. It had to be like, okay, well that that's done. It's happened. I'll think about it later. I'll beat myself up for not putting that extra influence on this later. But right now I need to figure out how to, uh, you know, how to come back from there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I spent a little too long thinking about how to bring it back because I did. I started bringing it back and then ran out of time. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's a that's a separate point. Um, okay, so yeah, definitely don't dwell. Don't dwell. I like that. Don't dwell on your mistakes. And I also you said uh, hang. I like do like the hang on tightly. So like, don't be afraid to assert yourself for you know what is correct. I, I know I'm. This is something that I sometimes like struggle with the balance between. You know, I want all my opponents to have really good games, and you know I will, I will definitely if it's an obvious like I'm correct on the rules. Like, hey, let's pause. Let's you know let's get a tea over here. We can talk about it. Um, but yeah, make sure you don't like, especially if an opponent is intense too, and they are very you know insistent that they are correct. Um, don't don't necessarily give that up, right? Don't don't in the interest of like, well, I'm just this nice guy. If you're playing competitively and you think you are correct about something, hold tight to it, right? And, and there's no there's no harm in saying, well, let's hey, listen, I want to have a good game. You want to get this isn't me trying to you know this isn't anybody trying to get an advantage. Let's just figure this out because it's possible. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's, you know, a, there's, maybe you're there's wrong. a really there's a really easy flowchart that works for that works for games that have clearly written rules. Um, and I, I like to think this applies to Guild Ball, but that's kind of like self-serving a little bit. I hope it applies to Guild Ball, and we do our <laughs> as best we can to write clear rule set. But it did apply to War Machine as well. Uh, and you can sort this dude's really easy flowchart where nobody's at fault here. If there's a disagreement, as soon as there's a good disagreement, go, I'm sorry, I don't think that's right. Can I just check the card? Or if it's my card, I'm just going to check the card and just go, excuse me, I don't think that's correct. This is why points the rule. You're not saying, I think you're wrong. You're saying, 
look, here is it written down in black and white, and this is why it's incorrect. And you're not making it personal. You're not saying you're wrong and you're stupid. Yeah. You're saying, I'm, you do apologize, but it's actually this it's this way. And you, I'm possibly even being a little bit British about it and over-apologizing or whatever. I was about to but, say, that sounds very British. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, but, you, but you can do it in a way that just says, look, this isn't me. This is not me having an attack at you. This is me saying, look, this is actually how it is correctly done. That, that should be fine. When you get anything else that's not covered by rules, so measurements, line of sight, as soon as there's a disagreement, go, uh, the way I will normally do it is go, this is what I think. What do you think? If there's a disagreement, okay, that's cool. Uh, just so, because I'm really enjoying this game, I don't, well, don't want to be any negativity between us at all. Do you mind if we get a second opinion? Just get a judge over to it and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that in the slightest. And then people should never take offense if someone else is calling that on you either. It's actually the best way to resolve it so that you can continue in really enjoying this game that you're playing and making sure that there's no negativity there. And that will double up as well on actually helping you keep a properly a properly positive mental state as well as if you're both enjoying the game that's something else that will contribute to you having a good time and therefore playing much better yeah. um, I was gonna say 100 percent people um, they sometimes we like avoid we have this desire to avoid the conflict um, but ultimately you know if you're either way if you're insisting that you're correct then you're overpowering your opponent into agreeing with you without calling so you know a third party over you're going to make them feel bad about the game and vice versa yep. if you're feeling like you know you're giving in and just to avoid this conflict to avoid resolving it you're going to start resenting your opponent you're not going to have a fun game and play as well as uh, as well as you could as well so yeah just save save the trouble talk about it with your opponent if you can't reach the quick solution then yeah bring bring in a third party absolutely Absolutely. Um, and that's pretty much all I got. <laughs> Excellent. No, it's been a, a really great conversation. I really appreciate it. One thing I wanted, I guess, um, we've talked very abstractly about being competitive and you were applying it to War Machine. Do you think, you know, obviously, uh, not that you haven't been competitive in your own way in Guild Ball, but obviously there's a, a little bit of a conflict of, of, of role there um, in your ability to kind of do the same thing that you did with War Machine with Guild Ball. But from at least from your perspective, do you see um, anything notable that's unique about Guild Ball in how the game is played competitively or considerations for competitive Guild Ball versus uh, other competitive games that you're familiar with? Or do you think it's largely the, the same exact thing to apply? At least in my experience, it's largely the same. Um, yeah, I, I can't. It's a good, really good question, that. Um, Nothing's jumping out of the top of my head. Fair enough. The one thing, the one thing I would bring up, and this obviously this may be shifting as the game you know expands, is that you do have this significant less focus on uh, pre like kind of pre mortem decisions uh, into the game. So there is your the roster, and that is impactful, but not obviously not nearly as impactful as a game where you know you're bringing multiple lists where the lists are completely different in terms of the models that are out there. Um, and especially in like bringing War Machine as an example, a game that is founded so much more on uh, combinations and synergies rather than necessarily them like positioning and the things that Guild Ball uh, values. So with less pre-mortem um, like decisions, there's I, I find that there's less. You can have ideas, and you can have. Um, I mean, I I definitely I come up with you know I I was concerned about Vet Decimate. Um, and how to play against her with Union. So I spent a good amount of time 
you know, laying out some models and figuring out a good, like, you know, early strategy for, for dealing with that with the union. But in general, there's less of this kind of solving things beforehand and a lot that has to take place on the table. So I'm wondering if yeah. you've noticed that and if that changes any of, like, the what's important to be competitive in the game. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to make. So I, I think a good way of summarizing that up, or how I would put that is that Guild Ball is often a game of, of situations. There are very few states in a vacuum. Like when you hear people talk about, oh, this model always does this to this model because of X, Y, Z reasons. Well, that's true in a complete vacuum, but you're forgetting that there's at least another 10 models on the table that you're not accounting for here. You're not accounting for the distance between the two of them, uh, any other condition effects that are on them or any of the character plays that have been brought in to effect. And, and I think that that. Guild Ball being a game of situations and reacting to situations is something that's definitely unique to it a lot more than any other game, particularly in our good comparison to, to War Machine before, which isn't so much as reactive because they don't have the alternating activations. Um, and so, I was going to say, you can't, like, I mean, this is not 100% true. I don't want to overgeneralize uh, War Machine in this, but like in other games where you build a, you know, build a list, you can run into situations uh, where, you know, before the game even starts, you're you're trying to get yourself into as advantage of a situation as possible. So let's say you get that, you know, you're you you have figured it out and made it so your opponent, you know, is disadvantaged when you get to the table. They're already starting off at maybe a 80 percent disadvantage, um, and a lot some of the decisions are already done with, and you know you just have to execute on it. But with Guild Ball, I think that's less less the case yep. for sure. Yep, I agree. And I've always been a big believer in improvisation, um, in situational improvisation. So uh, a good example, I think, of when I did this recently in GoBot, actually, is when I was playing one of the World Cup games. Um, now, understanding for a second that World Cup games are less balanced than normal games, but I still think this example I'm going to say is, is relevant. And it's something that I even do when I play with my morticians. So I was playing with the one mortician model I got to play with in the World, in the World Cup we did was Dirge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, otherwise, I had Ox and, and Catalyst and a lot of other fighting models. But Dirge was the one model that I was like particularly familiar with, more than anything else. And there's something I did in my game with Steve Margotson, which was the second game I played, I think, where, um, and he definitely didn't see this one coming at all, but it completely ruined what he wanted to do for a couple of activations, and he ended up making a mistake which ended up costing him the game. So that was, he was setting up a veteran rage charge on veteran catalyst, and he was just going to come and completely take out uh, veteran catalyst, but he spent a little bit too much time setting up to get the perfect charge because he didn't think that anything could interrupt him. Um, but I just did a quick measurement, and I noticed that Dirge was within nine inches of veteran rage, so literally just like, okay, I know that you don't want to spend any more time setting this up, and you're going to have an awkward time on picking this, so I'm just going to fly Dirge right in front of veteran rage, mm -hmm. and you're going to have to go and deal with that. And... Because it wasn't something that he'd seen coming and he hadn't planned for it, he ended up like moving tenderize around, which actually ended up taking away his counter charge, tried to swing attacks at Dirge to try and move him out of the way, actually ended up missing that as well, and then tenderize was out of position, Rage was still engaged, and it ended up really messing up the side of the board for him. And that's not necessarily the intended use for Dirge, but in that situation, he was the perfect model to go and do that. So, and you can apply that to other situations where a model such as I don't know. So if I'm, if I'm going to play the Fisherman, and I know that Sakana is not a tank at all, but I know that if I feed Sakana to my opponent and do as much as I can to keep Sakana alive, like heal him, make sure I'm selecting good opportunities to make counterattacks, that will buy me some time to go and score a goal. So whereas he's taking his two points off me, I'm going to trade that for four to eight points. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. So yeah. you were gonna say? No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, just sometimes taking a model that's not its intended use and using it for improvisation. And I think that you can definitely do that in Guildwall quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that was basically the entirety of uh, of my Harry strategy was fee, you know, second wind Harry, goad, vet decimate, and then run away and. You know, uh, over eventually, vet decimate will get there and kill him for sure. But it's going to be two activations and four momentum. Uh, I'll trade that for for your two points. Yeah, <laughs> and and also to have vet decimate not anywhere near me for two yeah. turns. Excellent. Yep. Well, this has been an awesome uh, discussion. Anything? Anything you wanted to um, shout out? Anything you're excited for? I know British Nats just finished. Are you going to be at WTC this year? I am. I'm going to be WTC, yes. So uh, I'm really lucky to be sent over again by Steam Forge, which is great. Uh, so we're going to send one team over to compete, which is going to be myself. Uh, it's going to be Bryce Johnston's going to play, and Steve Margaretson's going to play. And then we're just going to see what we can do. Now, and what's what's nice about the WTC is, in the early days of Guild Ball, we would prevent staff from playing in events because it would be really rude for people that have just picked up our newest game to come and get whitewashed by people that have been playtesting it for months. And we've you know, dropped that rule quite early on in Guild Ball so that we could staff could staff could eventually go and play in events. And now that's not even the slightest issue for us because there are definitely way better players than those playing Guild Ball out there. So <laughs> it's really nice to go to the WTC and just play. I can I can kind of go back to my roots a little bit and just play as competitive as I want to play because I know we're eventually going to get beat by the better players that are there. So we can just go and do as best as we can and go and have some fun. Excellent. So, you can unleash yourself. Yeah. yeah. So well, hopefully we uh, we get matched up then. Yeah, 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 and you can smash my face in. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see about that. <laughs> Excellent. All right, well, I'm I'm excited. There's a lot of cool stuff coming up for competitive Guild Ball. We have the WTC. We have US SteamCon, which I still technically have to get approved by work before I can go, but I have a ticket, and I have a hotel room, so I should be there. Uh, and then UK, uh, UK National, uh, no, what is it called? Uh, SteamCon UK. Um, yeah. All right. Well, pleasure having you on, Jamie. Thanks for the the interesting information, kind of expanding our uh, discussion on what it means to be competitive. Thank you for having me on. And I'm, uh, I'm hopefully it wasn't just waffle, but people will understand something. Well, we know now that you are a fiend for songs, uh, movie soundtrack uh, yes. music, specifically. Like, like, uh, you, you know what?